I am glad that you're here. Dr. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist. He wrote a book that you ought to read. It's called The Search for Meaning. And Dr. Frankl not only was a psychiatrist, but he had a, probably three, three PhDs or medical degrees when it came to life. He was a psychiatrist in Europe. He was born in 1905, and by the time he was uh, around 40, the Nazis had taken over the part of the world where he was. He was a Jewish man. He was taken captive by uh, the Nazis, and he spent time at two of the most infamous concentration camps, Auschwitz and Dachau. Obviously, he survived to tell his story, and he talks about what it was like going into a concentration camp. He said, as soon as you got there, they separated you immediately from your wife and your kids. Men went one place, women and children went the other place. One group, and then they would take groups from these, one that were assigned immediately to go to the gas chambers, which meant that you died probably within the hour that you were there. He was fortunate enough not to be in that group. So he was taken in a room, and they had to strip naked. They shaved the hair off of their body. They put cheap rag clothes on them, and then began the process of a living death. He said they were basically slave, oh, well, they weren't, weren't basically, they were slave labor. They lived in filth and squalor and lice and rats. They were starved. And he said that obviously some people died from the torture. Some people died, they were starved to death. But he said other people died because they lost hope. He said the worst thing that could happen to a person in that concentration camp was to lose hope. Because if they lost hope, they were going to die. And you know what? When we don't have hope, it's bad, isn't it? It really is bad. You may be at that place this morning. You may be on top of the world. You may be at a no-hope spot in a few weeks. But I want to, in Luke 24, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have the, your Bible, no problem. The Scriptures will be on the screen. I want us to look at the subject of hope. But I want us to begin where you may be this morning and certainly where a bunch of these folks were 2,000 years ago. And first, it's this. There's a lot of sadness and disappointment today. It's Easter Sunday. I'm excited. I bought my grandkids uh, chocolate Easter bunnies, and I was good enough to buy myself one. Isn't that great? But that's part, of the, that's part of the price. If I get to buy, I get to get what I want. Amen? Send me shopping, and you'll be sorry. In verse 1 of this great story, in this story that doesn't start great but, but ends great, It says, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. This is uh, basically Sunday morning to them started at daybreak, so it's very early. Folks, they're going to the tomb not to celebrate Easter. They're not there for the sunrise service and to sing rise again. They're going there to anoint his dead body, to finish the burial Jewish rituals that they could not finish on Friday because the Sabbath began. That's very important. In verse 2, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. A lot of these tombs were caves, and they would have a lot of times specially fitted stones that rolled across them to protect them from grave robbers. And the stone was gone, which was good for them. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling. They, they were they clothed brilliantly. They were angels. The word puzzled there, uh, it, it, it not only means uncertainty, it means doubt. 
This is very important. The first people who doubted the resurrection were Jesus' followers. They weren't expecting him to arise from the dead, as strange as that may sound. They were puzzled. They were confused. Uh, And then if we jump to verse 9 through 11, now the ladies have encountered the risen Lord. But look what it says here. So they rush back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples. They'd been told he's alive. And everyone else, what had happened... It was Mary Magdalene, Joanne, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles that Jesus' body is not there and that we've been told he's alive. Now look in verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. The the disciples didn't even believe Jesus was alive. That's very, very, very significant. Verse 13 through 21. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. As they were walking along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came up and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing? So intently as you walk along, they stopped short. Now listen, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. Now Cleopas basically was saying, uh, this guy really must not be very bright of everything that's happened. He, I'm sure he had to confess that as sin later on when he realized it was Jesus. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped, we had hoped. He was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. They were already expecting a miracle to them that it hadn't hadn't happened. Now, a sister's story in Mark chapter 16, verse 9 to 11. It says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman whom he cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. Listen to verse 11. But when she told them what Jesus, that Jesus was alive, she said, and that she had seen him, they did not believe her. Guys, it's so, it's so important to know the first Sunday, the, the first Easter, Jesus' best friends didn't even think it was real. They didn't think he was alive. And you've got to imagine the sadness and the brokenness that they were experiencing. I mean, they loved this guy. This was their best friend. They had been with him all the time. They had placed all their hope, their trust, their faith, their finances, everything with him. And now he's gone. And it looks like everything is ruined. You're talking about a day of disappointment. And I know this morning that that there's people in this room that are sad. You're disappointed. Things aren't playing out for you like you had hoped and thought that they would. Brandon tells a story about counseling a couple. He had the man come in separately. Brandon's our counselor. And he noticed the man had his wedding ring on the wrong finger. Most of the time you wear your wedding ring on your left hand, your third finger, and this guy had it on his right hand on his second finger. And Brandon said, why is your ring on the wrong finger? The guy started crying. He goes, I married the wrong woman. Brandon doesn't share counseling stories. That's just a joke. But you know how that can be. 
I heard a story of a lady who was talking to her little six-year-old girl. The girl came home from school and, and said, Mama, we were studying Africa today at school. And did you know it used to be in Africa when you got married, you did not even know your spouse until you got married. And the mama smiled and said, it's true in America too. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your health. Do you know depression is the second most prominent disease or epidemic in our world today? Second only to cardiovascular disease. And some people believe the next few years depression will overtake cardiovascular disease as the most prominent problem that we face in our world today. Many of you know that's true because you're depressed this morning. I read these statistics from the New York Times several years ago. They're very staggering to me. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 rose 30%. In our world today, in our country today, the most affluent, wealthy country in the world, the most free country in the world, more Americans now die from suicide than they do from car accidents. The biggest group where it's jumped is in middle-aged men. Men in their 50s, it's jumped by nearly 50% in the last decade. And the researchers talk about why is this true, what's the economic downturn, it's the the increase of narcotic painkillers. And finally, when they got to the end of the article and they philosophized, one of them said, maybe it's because people are just losing hope. And I was like, you don't have to have a PhD in psychology to figure that out. I believe that first Easter Sunday, if something hadn't happened soon, there would have been more than Judas that just took his life. Because you're talking about some sad and disappointed people. Maybe that's you this morning. Hang in there. We're going to have an answer for it in a moment. Here's the second thing that goes with it. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. You come in here this morning, and maybe, again, everything is rosy for you today. That is awesome. I am so happy. But your world can flip upside down by this time tomorrow. And for many of us who are paying attention, the, the, the world is uncertain. It was for them. In Luke 24, verse 20 through 21, But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed Jesus over to be condemned to death. They killed him. Verse 21, and when he hoped, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue us. This all happened three days ago. And let's look at John chapter 20, verse 19. Just this one part of the verse. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Wow. Again, not only was their day horribly disappointing and sad, But as they looked at the future, they were broken. Everything they had planned for and hoped for, invested for, seemed to be completely gone, completely wiped away. And they had to look at their future at that point and say, our future is ruined. We are done. There is no hope for us. I want to tell you again, if you're paying attention to the world around us, it makes you a little nervous sometimes, doesn't it? I've been following presidential uh, politics for 30 years now. That's a long time for some of you, not very long for others of you. But in my 30 years, this is the most bizarre presidential election I have ever seen. And it may be the most crucial one I've ever seen. 
the national debt. Do you keep up with the national debt? We have a picture of the national debt clock. Uh, there's, a, there's one clock picture. It shows the debt rolling and rolling and rolling. I, I think our debt's actually higher now. It's about 18 to 19 trillion dollars. 18 to, did you, 18 trillion dollars? And it's, if you go online after church, and please wait till after the service, uh, and look, you can find a picture of the debt clock that shows the clock just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. That is, that's trouble. Did you pay attention to what happened in Brussels on Tuesday this last week? Innocent people just walking through the airport. Bombs go off. ISIS again. 30-something people killed. Hundreds of people wounded. Sixth major attack in six weeks. And you've got to look at that if you've got any sense and know that does impact America. And that will impact America if we're not real, real careful. And you look at your future and you go, my goodness, what is my future holding? Some of you, you don't have to look at terrorism. You don't have to look at the national debt. You're looking at your billfold, your health, your marriage, your life, your job, your career, and you're going, man. Man is the future uncertain. Well, here's the great thing this morning because of Easter. There is hope. There is hope. Would you say that aloud with me just to cheer me on a minute? There is hope. There, there is hope. Listen, th- these people were sad. They were depressed. I think they were probably close to suicidal. The present looked terrible. The future looked non-existent. But all of a sudden, there's hope. And here's the reason there was hope for them and you and me. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. If you don't get anything else from the sermon, hold on to that. Jesus Christ is alive. Now listen, you can say, and, and I understand, you can doubt the resurrection. And you can say an empty tomb does not prove a resurrection. And I would tell you, you are 110% right. I heard this morning, someone told me after church, that William Shakespeare's grave this week was found to be empty. Have any of y'all heard that? Again, Google that after the service. Thank you, son Brian has and True has. And I want to tell you, Willie has not arisen from the dead. Uh, in Fort Worth, 20 years ago, it's 1994, 21, 22 years ago, there was a terribly bizarre and very sad story. A 20-year-old girl had died in an accident, terrible in itself. They had buried her on a Saturday in Wrestling Memorial Park there in Dallas. On Tuesday morning, when the people who kept the funeral home got there, they noticed the grave had been dug up they had broke the concrete covering the casket. They had broke open the grave, and the body was gone. Five days later, it was found somewhere on a county road in Dallas County. I looked this week and could not find that they had ever discovered what had happened, but never at any point did someone say she had arisen from the dead. An empty tomb doesn't prove a resurrection, but the Bible proves to us that there was a resurrection. In verse 5 and 6, 
of this great story. The women were terrified. They bowed with their faces to the ground. Then they asked, the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? In other words, they're saying, why are you looking for in a cemetery for a, a person who's alive? The word alive there means warm. It means that they are, they are physically alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He had told you he was going to do this. He told him many times he was going to do this. Now, folks, if you're taking notes, the word risen is a great Bible word. It literally means a physical bodily resurrection. It's, it doesn't mean a spiritual resurrection. It's not a ghost. It's not a wishful thing. It is a body literally getting up and walking out of a tomb. In verse 28 through 31, these guys that were walking to Emmaus, by this time they were nearing Emmaus. They asked Jesus to stay with them. Verse 29, but they, they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and gave it and broke it to them. And then suddenly their eyes were open. It's pretty neat. When Jesus started praying, they recognized who he was. At that moment, he disappeared. The story doesn't end there. Verse 35 through 43. Then the two from Emmaus told the story of how Jesus had appeared to them and was walking along the road. And how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about this, Jesus suddenly sta- is standing there and says, Peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? That's easy for Jesus to ask, isn't it? I mean, he had just been killed, and now he's standing there. Why are, you, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. The word touch me, Jesus is saying... I'm not a ghost. Feel me. Investigate me. Look at the holes in my hand. It's me. Touch me and make sure because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. In verse 40, as he spoke, he showed him his hands and his feet. Still he stood there. They stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then, then he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? Then they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and Jesus ate as they watched. Now, I'm not a ghostologist. I don't know about ghosts, but I'm guessing ghosts don't eat. Would you guess that? Ed and, and Josh saw a ghost, supposedly, on the third story of the white building over there several years ago. He wasn't eating, or she, it was a female ghost, but wasn't eating pizza, was it, Josh? So here's what Jesus is saying. You don't believe that they didn't believe it was real. Jesus says, touch me, handle me, feel me. John Crossett was a former, and I want to emphasize, former Catholic priest. He went completely liberal and in my mind completely crazy. He became a professor, university professor. And he said the resurrection didn't happen. Jesus' body was dragged off by wild dogs. And the disciples just wished that it happened. They just had a vision that it happened. Alicia, my daughter, and, and her little daughter, my granddaughter Bailey and I, were riding together somewhere last week. And Bailey said, Mama and Papa, do you know the moon's made out of cheese? And we said, well, uh, you know, I was going to play along with it. Of course, Alicia had to correct her and tell her it wasn't. But, uh, you, you know, if you believe Jesus' body was dragged off by wild dogs, I'm going to tell you the moon's made out of cheese, too. You believe that? See, that, that's the whole point. Jesus said, touch me. Put your, put your hand in, in, in my, uh, where, where, where the nails were. Look at me. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, after that, Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most are still alive. Listen, this was written 20 or 30 years after the resurrection. And Jesus said, or Paul said, listen, if you don't believe that Jesus came back to life, and this is everything to Christianity, there's 500 people who are still alive who can verify that it is true. Folks, Jesus Christ came back to life. That's what gives us hope this morning. That's why we have hope today. Winston Churchill, the great British leader, said this, if you can walk out of the tomb, you are who you say you are, and you can do what you say that you can do. Amen. If you can walk out of the tomb, you are who you say you are, and you can do anything that you say you can do. Listen, if we've got a dead Savior, he can't save anything, but a living Lord can do anything. We have hope this morning because Jesus Christ is alive. Let me give you two thoughts on that. Things will be fine today if you'll embrace Jesus. So, man, I don't know what's going to happen in my life today. Verse 36 Jesus walked in the room and he said, peace be with you. What great words. And that word peace there doesn't just mean, you know, peace, hey, have a good time. It it meant rest, wealth, well-being. And I want you to hear me on this. This doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy or, or super fantastic. But what it means, if you will put your hand in Jesus and quit playing games with him, quit flirting with him, and sell your life out to him, that no matter what happens today or no matter what happens tomorrow, you're going to be okay. Romans 8, 28 is one of the great verses in the Bible. It says, in all things God works for the good to those who love him. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say God works for the good for everybody. It says when people love God and live for God, no matter what your mess is, God can put his hand in that mess and make a masterpiece. Isn't that wonderful? I'm telling you, no matter what your situation is today, if you will get on board with Jesus Christ, it can be okay. How many of you remember the old, the old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Say it with me just for the fun of it. Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty. All the kings. You, you young people not know this nursery rhyme or something? Josh, you need to do better teaching them this. First of all, if you name your kid Humpty Dumpty, you have doomed him in life to begin with. Amen. I heard the Christian version of this, and I like it better. It says, Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ saw our great fall. Who cares about the king's horses and who cares about the king's men? Jesus Christ can put us back together again. Folks, I want to tell you, may not be exactly how you want it to work out, but if you'll put your hand in Jesus and you'll keep it there, things today will be fine. But I want to tell you something even greater, I think. Things from the future are going to be fine too. The last verses of this book, verse 52 and 53, says they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time, this is after the resurrection, in the temple praising God. What, what was their future going to look like? Well, they were going to suffer, many of them. They were going to die for Jesus. They were going to die young. But I want to tell you, if you could talk to any of those people in heaven today, they would tell you that when Jesus Christ came back to life and they kept their hand in his, their future worked out great, worked out well.
Dr. Daniel Gilbert is a psychology professor at Harvard. Dr. Gilbert said this, and I believe this is exactly right. He said, so much of our unhappiness, so much of our anxiety, so much of our striving, so much of our competition to just to get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, comes from uncertainty. We don't know what the future holds. I couldn't agree with him anymore. And you look at our country, you look at your finances, you look at your marriage, you look at the election, you look at terrorism. And boy, it is uncertain. Put your hand in Jesus' hand. Romans 8, 28, and all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. Put your hand in Jesus' hand. Quit flirting with him. Quit playing the game. Sell your life out to him. Live for him with all your heart. And no matter what happens, Jesus Christ will help you, and it will work out for the best. Larry King was a famous late-night host for years. He's an older man now, and apparently he is consumed with with death. And he talks to his family about dying and death and nursing homes and, 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 you know, his his future, his immediate future, his eternal future. And when I read that, I, I, I just said to myself, I wish somebody would go tell Larry... Give yourself to Jesus. Let Jesus take care of you today. Let Jesus take care of you the rest of your earthly life here. Let Jesus have your eternity. Bruce Larson is a preacher, and he made a great statement. The resurrection, it frees us from our past. It gives us peace for today, and it gives us hope for the future because Jesus Christ is alive. Listen, no matter what it looks like today, if you will put your hand in Jesus, the guy who walked out of the tomb, your future will be okay. I I heard a story of a daddy who went to a baseball game. His little son was playing in left field, and the daddy got out of the car, and he looked, and the scoreboard was 18 to nothing, the other team. You don't have to know much about sports. No, that's not good. The dad walks up to the fence where he can see his son. His son's smiling, and he's happy. He's thinking, my son's an idiot. They're getting beat 18 to nothing, and he is happy. And, and so the, the dad says, hey, Junior, you're getting beat 18 to nothing. Why are you smiling? He goes, Daddy, we had not even got the bat yet. Folks, I want to tell you, the devil may have you down 18 to nothing, but Jesus Christ is alive, and you hadn't got the bat yet. You don't give up. Put your hand in Jesus and keep it there. In my first little church, we used to sing out of the Heavenly Highway hymn book. How many of you ever heard of that hymn book? About three or four of you. I'd never heard of it until I went there. We sang a song many times. It's a wonderful song. Listen to the chorus. I won't try to sing it because you'd lose hope. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Wow. A whole lot about tomorrow I don't understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I'm going to let him hold my hand. Rick Warren is pastor probably the largest Southern Baptist church in America, maybe in the world. And you may know him. He wrote the famous book, Purpose Driven Life. Several years ago, he probably had as great a tragedy as that can happen to to parents or to a family member. His 27-year-old son committed suicide. He'd struggled with depression and, and some mental illness, but Rick said that night they went out to dinner and everything seemed great, and he went home that night and he killed himself. 
He took months off, and when he went back to work, people were astonished how well he seemed to be doing. They said, Rick, how are you making it through this? He said, Easter. I said, what do you mean, Easter? He said, life is like the Easter story. Friday, you have suffering and death. Life, you got suffering and death. Saturday, you have doubt and grief. And Sunday, you've got hope because Jesus is alive. And he said, in life, we don't live those in separate categories. We live those all intermingle. We live life. We have pain. We have suffering. We have death. We have doubts. We have griefs. But if we'll put our hands in Jesus in the midst of that every day, we've got a living Lord who walked out of the tomb, who gives us hope for today and hope for the future. That's what I mean by living in Easter. And I want to tell you, live in Easter. Don't ignore the suffering and pain, but keep your hand in the one who walked out of the tomb, who can help you today and tomorrow. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I want to really challenge you to to get your life lined back up with Christ, to live for Him as you should. And if you're not a Christian and you're ready today or you're unsure if you're a Christian, you're ready to cross that line with Jesus, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, here's what I want to ask you to do. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your life. Or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come today? Would you talk to one of our ministers? Would you cross that line with Jesus today? Let your life be changed forever. Maybe you'd like to join our church today. You can do it after church. Catch me or one of our ministers. Or you can come when we stand in a moment. We're going to be a church that wants to love you and wants to lift up the hope of Jesus in your life. Come and join us today. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, maybe you need to get back right with God to keep your hand in His, to live in that hope. Maybe you want to come and just kneel at the altar and thank Jesus Christ for dying and coming back for you. Let's stand and let's respond.